continuing our study here through the book of Genesis. And we've kind of been going about a chapter a week here concerning the flood in Noah. If you jump back in time with me, when we did chapter 6, we talked about the background of why the flood was going to happen. And then we talked about Noah himself. Then the next week we talked about the ark, and we talked about the dimensions of the ark and the actual practicality of the ark. And if you weren't with us, I encourage you to get it, because there's so many questions about could the ark even do what supposedly it was willing to do. And it did. It could. So I encourage you to go get that. Now, last week we got into chapter 7, and we got into the flood actually starting. The animals being loaded up in the ark by the Lord, the Lord divinely shutting the door of the ark, and God's hand being upon them. So we kind of left off right around verse 24 of Genesis chapter 7, and the water prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now, if you have your sheets here tonight, we made a little timeline up top. Now, if you look at the bottom where it says total, 370 plus days. The reason we said 370 plus days is because everybody has a different opinion on that. I just did this to show myself and others, in case anybody looked at, this is one person's account of the flood, where they said they were in the ark 377 days. Here's one that says it was 378, and here's one that says it was 372. Now, the reason there is some discrepancies on that is because we don't know exactly how long a biblical year was. Most people believe it was 360 days. And there's little things like this. When they got in the ark and it says that seven days later it rained, does that mean it was six days the seventh day it rained? Does that mean it was seven days? The whole point is this. You could spend all evening debating and it really doesn't matter. They spent about 370 plus days in the ark. That would be over a year, obviously. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, if you weren't with us last week, we hit the amazing part of it. The idea of God's hand of protection and faith that Noah had to do this. And I don't want to reiterate all those points, but if you weren't with us, that's the spiritual point here of the ark. God supernaturally kept them safe. God provided for them. And as the storm overran them, they were considered safe through it. Same thing happens for you today. God will supernaturally keep you safe as the storms of life hit you. As long as you stay in the ark of Jesus Christ, you will be fine. And that's the picture that we have to remember. Now, here in Genesis 8, if you look... We left off verse 24, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Go back to your sheet here real quick. We have day one, they enter the ark. Rain begins seven days later. The way I did the timeline is I put the actual verses down that shows us the months and the days. Now, where it says that 40 days of rain happened, that's obviously biblical. That's in there. But it doesn't give the beginning and end day. It just says for 40 days that it rained. So they're in the ark seven days. Let's just review this. So after seven days... 40 days, it then rains after that. And so what happens then, 150 days after it started, you can see there in Genesis 8, 4, the ark rests on the mountains of Ararat, verse 1 of Genesis 8. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. So, we have what was going on here. We had that rain that was going on for 40 days. We had these fountains of the deep that were opened up supernaturally and released all this water. So, 150 days later, now they kind of land on the top of the mountain, on Mount Ararat. Now, if you want to have some fun, go study that out. Because there's amazing things about that. People that supposedly have seen it, etc. Truth be told, we don't know. We'll never know. And truth be told, it really doesn't matter. But it sure is fun, kind of fun to study out. So, t- 
tops of Mount Ararat, 150 days later, they're stopped. Now put yourself in Noah's position. This is one of the first things I learned when I got saved. They said, anytime you read and study the Bible, put yourself in this man's position. Okay, Noah, for 120 years, he preached and built this ark. Okay? For seven days, he then got on the ark. Supernaturally, these animals came to him, and he just sat for seven days. Then it rained for 40 days. And it just didn't rain for 40 days. It rained for 40 days. And then as it rained for 40 days, the fissures of the earth opened up, and this water came out. So for 150 days, you're floating. I mean, imagine looking out, and all you see is just water. You're, it just, it's completely covered. Finally, after 150 days, you hit land. You have no idea where you're at. You have no idea what's going on. But you're just there now. He's still in this walk of faith. He's still in this walk of faith. So that's where we're at right now, 150 days into it. The water is starting to recede, as you can see that in verses 3 and 4. He lands on the mountains of Ararat, verse 5. The waters decrease continually until the 10th month. Now, in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So the water kind of keeps going down a little bit. So now when Noah looks out, he can see a little more. Verse 6, so it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out for himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her in and drew her into the ark to himself. So this is what happens now. Forty days after they start to see the tops of the mountains, he says, okay, let's see what's going on. There's starting to be some land appear. He lets out two birds, the raven and the dove. Why doesn't the raven return? Because the assumption is this point that the raven would be able to find carcasses and different things that would be able to feast upon and eat. The dove, the dove's the sissy bird. It wouldn't do things like that. So the dove has to wait. So now the dove, what happens in verse 9? The dove comes back. So what does Noah do? Verse 10, he waits yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening. Behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. Now we start to see here this weekly progression. Now we start to see vegetation starting to come back. Let's see what happens again. Verse 12. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. The assumption being in verse 12 is that the dove now found enough vegetation and the dove found enough plant life that she would be able to survive. So Noah now knew things were progressing. Remember, he's stuck on Ararat. He doesn't really know what's going on. He's still in this walk of faith. So put this all together. 150 days, he stops on the top of the mountain. 74 days later, the water is receded enough. He sees the top of the mountain. 40 days pass, he sends out the raven and the dove. The raven does not come back. And then he does this weekly progression, sending out a dove. Finally, the dove did not return. So what happens now? Verse 13, it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the seventh month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Now this is an interesting thing. And if you look here on the one phrase I put, understanding drying. Verse 13 tells me that the ground was dry and that the earth was dry. And then verse 14, it tells me it was dried. But yet... He waits a good month and a half to come out and do it. Now, certain translations say in verse 13 about the ground was drying. That's really not even a good translation. This word for dry in verse 13 is dry. That's what it means. The ground is drying. But in the Old Testament, also carries the connotation of wasteland. When Noah first looked out in verse 13, he saw ground. He saw the ground was drying, but what he also saw was a wasteland. 
It was not yet fit. It was not yet ready. So he has to go back in for a month and a half. Verse 14, where it says the earth was dried, that's a completely different Hebrew word in verse 14, and it means completely dry. So it was completely ready for everything to happen. Verse 15, then God spoke to Noah saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Now, I think verse 15 is a key, key verse. And we're going to stop here for one second because now we have to stop and say, first off, are there any quick questions, comments over the flood itself? If you add up all the days, you're talking 370 plus days and you're talking a year plus they were in the ark. That's a supernatural thing. Don't ever ignore that. But yet, if you go back to chapter 6 and 7, the practicality of the ark is an amazing thing that God did as well. So any quick questions, comments about the actual flood itself and then being in the ark for a year? Rose. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing is, I don't know if it really ever says about it being a storm per se. If you look in verse 17, it says now the, of, of chapter 7, Now the flood was on the earth, and the waters increased and lifted up the ark. You know, sometimes Hollywood has this impression of um, the storm and everything like that. You know, it seems to hint, and if you read out chapter 7 here, that when the Lord basically opened up that mist, that water of the earth, it was more of just a downpour. And then when the water came up, it kind of came up that way. So I don't know if it's something where the wind would be tossing them to and fro, you know, it kind of sounds like they almost lifted up, floated for a little bit, and kind of came back down as well. So that's a good point. Anybody else have anything here before? Ryan. Well, they were in the ark for a year. They could have around the That is a very valid point. They could have sightseed. They, that's, that's, seriously, no, that's a very valid point. You know, we, we make the assumption they went up and came down. They could have floated around and just did a little bit of a circle there as well, too. You know, this is the interesting thing, and, and we're all in agreement here, so I'm not picking on anybody says, but in my mind, I hear this type of stuff, and I'm like, okay, Lord, how did you do that? And then I always hear, like, the Lord saying, James, you know, Jonah got swallowed by a big fish. I can handle a boat going up in the water and coming down, you know? It, it's these little things that trip us up. It's like he created the world in six days out of nothing. The ark staying in the promised land area, I, I think he could probably handle that, but my mind begins to wander a little bit, which is always a teaching point we say out here, is if you can believe God created the world in six days, whatever problem you're facing today is nothing. Nothing. But yet, we get worked up about it. Remember a couple Sundays ago, we talked about the macro faith and the micro faith. And we talk about macro faith as we see the big picture. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that. Macro, big picture faith. Micro-faith, though, is God's going to get me through this illness. God's going to get me through this trial and tribulation. We sometimes have great macro-faith, but we struggle in the small things. So, God created the world in six days. He's going to be able to put the ark wherever He wants. And it was on the mountains of Ararat. Anybody else have anything here before we move on about the flood itself? So, oh, Doris, I thought you were putting your hand up. Careful. It's like an auction. I almost called on you. Um, <laughs> 370 plus days, God supernaturally provided uh, for them safety. Noah also did his part. Go back to verse 21 of chapter 6. Noah provided the food by gathering it and collecting it. God brought the animals. God kept them safe. And if you remember correctly, we stressed these verses. Look at verse 22 of chapter 6. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Obedience. Obedience. One of the phrases we try to ingrain into our boys at home. Obedience brings blessing. 
If you listen to us, things go better. If you don't listen to us, things don't go so good. It's the same thing with biblical points. I don't know how many times someone has called me up and contacted me and tells me about their life falling apart. And as we start talking a little bit more, we get into it and we start saying, asking questions like, are you where God wants you to be? Well, no. They know they're not obedient and they wonder why their world's falling apart. It doesn't work when you're disobedient. So Noah's obedient. And this is why I think verse 16 is so important. Where it says in verse 15, 16, God spoke to Noah saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wife with you. And I think this is important. Noah did not step out of the ark until God told him to. I think that's vitally important. And I don't want to belittle this point. Noah looked outside. Verse 13, he saw the ground was drying. Verse 14, he saw the ground was dried. There had to be a part in Noah that said, looks good. I think I should take this step. And I maybe overanalyzed. There's eight people on the ark. Don't you think there was one type A personality on the ark that said we should go? We should go. And I just envisioned this conversation of somebody saying we should go and Noah saying, let's wait till God says go. And, and I've seen that in my own life so often. I analyze the situation to use the analogy here from verse 14, the earth is dry, it sure looks good to me, Lord, I should probably go. Well, who says it's a good idea? Well, I do, because it looks like a good idea. I mean, everything has fallen into place perfectly. I mean, why would the Lord allow it to fall into place perfectly and not be His will for me to take this step? Obviously, it has to be His will, because my superhuman intellect has shown that this is a great idea. No, stay on the ark until God says go. Because you know what? The Lord may send him out when it's dry. God may have sent him out when it's wet and still said, I'll supernaturally provide for you. We have to be so careful as Christians that we do not make decisions based on our own analysis of the situation and intellect. Noah did not come out of the ark until God said go. Now, i got to be honest with you. When I first got saved, I wouldn't have taken a step without the Lord. Now that I've been saved for 20 years and I've been a pastor for a while, i got it all figured out. Lord, I can take them some of these steps on my own. No. No, he can't. Our little guy, Tyrus, 18 months old, he has reached the point now where he can open the door to go outside of our porch. It's got the handle that just simply goes down. He doesn't have to turn it. So what happens is he opens the door. Now, he's excited that he can open the door. So he opens the door. Now, he doesn't realize there's a step. So he goes right up to the edge. And you know what? The first couple times, he's just ready to walk straight out. You grab him. Well, same thing happens spiritually. I open the door. It sure looks good. I'm just going to walk straight out. Thank the Lord that he grabs me. Now, here's with Noah. I want to stress this again. He only went out when God said, go out. I think that's important. Verse 17. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. What a beautiful picture. Open the doors and let them all out. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. What's the first thing Noah does? Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Once again, that's an extremely important point. Extremely important point. If you look at your sheets, I put down first things first. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I think it's so important that the first thing that Noah did was built an altar to the Lord. He knew who to thank. He knew who to praise. He knew who to honor. He saw the big 
picture. And I think it's important for us as believers to still build altars to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying literally, but you know what? You can take a memorial stone and you can write things on it. You can have a little journal if you want. You can have your own little altar. But there has to be a time and a place spiritually where you stop and you say, Lord, I'm going to stop right now and just say thank you. You got me through that day. You got me through that illness. You got me through that situation. Stop, hit your knees, and just say, Lord, thank you. Build a spiritual altar. And I think it's so important. And what is interesting about this? These animals that survived the flood for a year are now sacrificed. Isn't that something? Imagine being that cute little lamb that you were one of seven, and you looked around at all the other animals, and you say, wow, there's only two of them, but there's seven of me. I wonder why. And you're not one of the two (laughs) that gets to be free. Noah says, hey, you two go free. You five, I'm going to keep you for another reason. Really doesn't seem fair, does it? I mean, you survive a year on the ark, and the only problem that you have is you're a clean animal, and so you get to be sacrificed? See, I think verse 21, excuse me, I think verse uh, 20 is really a picture of Jesus. It's not fair. What did Christ do wrong? I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. He lived 33 years on this earth. He's the son of God, and, and he still gets put to death. Those little clean animals, what did they do wrong? Nothing. Think about this for a second. Those clean animals were purposely kept alive on the ark for a year just to be killed. That's, that was their sole purpose, is that they were kept alive to be killed. As a perfect picture of Jesus who was born to die. That's the only reason he was born. And and we'll probably talk about that because when we get to Christmas, almost every Christmas message we do out here, we talk about the beauty of Christmas and the lights and the excitement and everything along that type of line. But we also stop and say it was the first day of a 33-year-long journey that results in Christ's death. He was born to die. These clean animals, in verse 20, they were brought to be killed. Now, I remember uh, Kathy brought up last week in the New Living Translation how it says also that some of them were brought for food. But some of them here in verse 20, brought to be sacrificed. Verse 21, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again deliver every living thing, destroy every living thing as I have done. Now we know what happened in verse 21. He gives us the rainbow as a picture of this. And we don't have time tonight to get into the rainbow. That's in chapter 9 at the end. So we're going to have to get into that next week. But you see here in verse 21, you see... Grace. Remember, we say this every time out here. Anytime you see judgment in the Bible, look for grace. When we went through our study in Revelation, we have billions of people being killed, but yet you see pictures of grace all over the place. Here, God says, everybody died except eight, but it's also a picture of grace. I will not do this again. Now, I look at this where it says in verse 21, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, let's just be honest with ourselves. I don't think we're much better than Noah's time in any way whatsoever. God still says in his grace, I'm not going to do this. I mean, God could have done this. We know it was 1,600 years there in Genesis 5. He could have just every said every 2,000 years, I'm starting from scratch. So every, I'll give you guys 2,000 years, and then I'm going to start over again with eight people, and this is just the cycle that I'm going to keep doing here again and again and again. No, he gives you grace. I mean, can you imagine if that's the way spiritually he took care of us? It's like, okay, James, 
listen, I'm giving you just a few more chances, and after that I'm striking you with lightning. I mean, this is part of the problem with grace. I can go out and sin tonight, and guess what? There'd be no ramifications at this moment. Now, now don't take that the wrong way. But you can go do something wrong. I can go snap at my wife. I can snap at my kids. I can have a thought I shouldn't have. And guess what? God's probably not going to strike me down. Now, he can if he wants, but he's probably not going to. So what happens is I sin, and I walk around for a second saying, nothing happened. This is the hard part sometimes when you go up to non-believers and you start telling them, you know what? You're going to have to be, be accountable for your actions, and one of these days you're going to be judged. Now think about that. For 40, 50, 60 years they've walked on this earth and haven't been judged yet. What makes them think they're going to be judged all of a sudden now? That's grace. God says judgment will come. Great white throne, you will stand before the living God. It is a fact. Judgment will happen. But right now we're in this age of grace. Where God says, I love you. Because look at this. Look at your sheets. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God says here in Jeremiah, he goes, I know you guys are completely wicked. I completely know it. But I'm still loving you. Look at Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. See, God is basically saying here in verse 21, I know you guys are awful. I know you guys are awful. And even though I know you guys are awful, I'm not going to do this to the world again. I'm not. I will let you walk in grace here for a while. And that's the purpose. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. We are sinful. We are horrible. We are nasty. We deserve to be judged. But God gives us grace and mercy. And that's a beautiful thing. We're still sinners. And Christ died for us. And just to reiterate this, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night should not cease. He just reiterates saying, guys, listen. As long as this earth is still in existence, I'm not going to destroy you again like I did now. And that's what he reiterates in Genesis 9. And he gives us the sign of the rainbow to do that. And we'll get into that more next week. But what you see here, and I just want to reiterate, Noah's a man of faith. Man of faith. Listen, he did not know how long this flood thing was going to happen. He didn't. See, so often we look at Job. And we look at Job and we say, wow, what an amazing man. Do you realize Job did not realize what Job was going through in the book of Job? We have the beginning of Job. We have the end of Job. We see the big picture. Job was just stuck in the middle of Job. Noah, 150 days before he landed on Ararat. Now just stop for a second. Do you not think that about day 136 he started thinking, what am I doing? I mean, how long am I going to float on? I mean, is this, is this life now? I'm going to float on this boat for the rest of my life? Have you not ever been in that position before where you're floating on the boat and you stop and you say, is this life now? Why I always have this physical pain? Why I always have this spiritual struggle? Why I always have this emotional heartache? Is this my life now? You don't know when your boat is going to land on Ararat. You don't. You just have faith that God's going to take care of you. Noah was never given this divine thing to say, hey, heads up. 40 days of rain, followed by 110 days of floating. Then you're going to land on a mountain. And then give me about another oh, 150 days to get everything dried out, and then I'll let you out. He never was told that. Faith. Just complete faith in all ways and all things. If I was in Noah's position, and I saw what happened to the world, and I saw the destruction, would you not also think at one time, the world would never be the same again? Have you not ever had that thought? When you're laying in bed, feeling completely awful, 
who can't remember what it feels like to feel good. When you have that emotional pain hit you, when you lose a loved one, you never can remember what it's like to not hurt. We all have Noah moments of saying, God, what are you going to do? Noah is a picture of faith saying, trust me in the big picture, I'll take care of it. And he's given you and I a rainbow to show us that every time we see a rainbow in the clouds, it reminds us saying that the Lord will take care of us. It's a beautiful thing. So, that ends chapter 8. Chapter 9 now tells us how the world changes after the flood. And there's some big changes that happen after the flood. And we get into that into Genesis 9. And so we will go into that next week. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we go ahead and close up? About the flood, Noah, or just the timeline here or the picture of anything? All right. Let's close with a word of prayer. I'm let you go. Heavenly Father, help us. Some here tonight are in the boat. They're in the water. And they don't see any dry land. Encourage them, uplift them to know that you're in control. Lord, some here tonight are struggling physically, emotionally, spiritually. They can't remember and they can't see the end coming of feeling good. Lord, show them that you're in the middle of this storm and you're helping them through this. That they're in the ark and you're divinely watching over them. Encourage them, uplift them, help them in all ways and all things. And if we're here tonight, Lord, and we're blessed and things are in a good season of life, Help us to encourage those that are so in the flood. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.